I never can work these microphones. I was a bit worried then that you might not have actually switched on. What a great introduction was that. No pressure. Was anybody else waiting for the punchline, though? You know, she's great, but... That's what I was waiting for. I thought there's going to be a but here somewhere. But no, and you know, all them things, they are me. They are me. They're the Facebook me. <laughs> you know, the bits that you, you, know, you want everybody to know about you, don't you? you or you want to, um, to, to, to look that way. But the truth is, I'm also miserable at times. I'm also stressed out at times. And so when I was asked to, to do a message on, you know, from stress to freedom or stress to rest, as, um, <laughs> as you said this morning, um, I, I must admit that's what I thought it was at first as well. So, you know, maybe there was a bit of a miscommunication going on there. I thought, you know, I, I could do a message on stress to more stress. Yeah. I, I bet we yeah. all could really, couldn't we? Yeah. But from stress to freedom. What a wonderful thing that is, and if we can get hold yeah, of this message and get it really deep inside, then you know we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be an army. Yeah. We're gonna be a mighty army. So I thought, you know, I'd have a look at a few things, I, you know, because stress it, it, it stops you from sleeping. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Do you know my nighttime routine is generally, you know, we watch a bit of TV, get all comfy and cosy so as I can get relaxed and my mind's not thinking through all the things that I'm stressing about and then I can go to bed all nice and relaxed. I get in bed and then bing, my eyes are wide open, my mind's going yeah, round, thinking about everything, I can't switch off so then I close my eyes and I say, please let me sleep. Yeah. And then my brain says, no, let's think about all the stupid mistakes you've ever made. <laughs> And so then I say, oh, okay, we'll do that then, shall we? And then I don't get any sleep and I don't get any rest. And then I wonder why in the morning I'm pulling my hair out because I'm really stressed. But it just shows, doesn't it, that sometimes we can overthink things. Yeah. Well, we usually overthink things, don't we? And that adds to our stress. It makes it worse. So we need to stop and try and find something that can help us relax and to de-stress. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll do some research. What do you do? How do you de-stress? I'd been asking friends as well, and, and somebody suggested to me, oh, you should get you know, some, a couple of those stress balls. Well, I went one better, I made one. I made my very own. For those of you who should have gone to Specsafe, I think there might be one coming up, a picture of it up there, so as you can all see it. For those on the podcast, I've made it from a bright yellow balloon with purple hair and a crazy face. And I thought, you know, I can make an old army of these. That'd be great. It'd be really, and I would de-stress them, wouldn't I, with an old army? That is until I realised they're not actually for throwing at the people who are stressing you out. <laughs> so... Bit of a waste of time, wasn't it? So I only made a couple and thought, no more. I don't need all them. So then I thought, I wrote it all down, what we got in Google. I thought, Google knows how to de-stress. I shall ask Google. The first thing that came up, it said, relax. <laughs> relax. Do you know when you're really wound up and somebody says, calm down? You, know, you calm down. It doesn't, it, it, it's not working, is it? Google. That's not, do you know, I did find one, one good one. 
And it said, when you're stressed, when somebody is really stressing you out, and you know you want to slap them, it said, do it. <laughs> but when you do, say mosquito. <laughs> I thought, I might try that. Can you imagine? Mosquito. Uh, it's got its flaws, because in summer, you might not get away with it. Uh, and I am not advocating people slapping people, okay? Let's just get that there. Um, right, so the other things it was saying on Google, it said, walk, rest. Walk, rest. Am I walking or am I resting? I, you know, I now feel like slapping Google. Surely it's got to get some, you know, get some better information on it. Let's, let's go on, and it said, smile. I think I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> try some funny different smiles. Try it. Oh, go on. Everybody try it. Those on the podcast too, smile. It doesn't matter who's around. Just try all these different smiles. De-stress. <laughs> the other thing it said is, stand up. Oh, we heard that this morning, didn't we? Stand up. It, there's a reason why superheroes have, you know, one of those stands, isn't it? Because when you stand up, you're displaying that power, that you're in control. And you feel like you're in control. You feel, so now we have to smile and stand. I bet we all could do that, really, couldn't we? Oh, I feel a bit like Mr. Bean. <laughs> That's not the superhero I was going for. I think it needs work, but I think it's something we all need to work on. Yeah. Remember, when you are stressed, when you're feeling like you can't go on, or there's no end to what's happening in your lives, and you just need a break, stand up. Stand tall. Smile. Nobody will know that you're really stressed. And then, because they start treating you differently, you will start to feel less stressed. You'll start to feel much better. The other advice it gave us was, shake it off. It's a song there, isn't it? Shake it off. Taylor Swift, shake it off. Yeah, I, I can't sing. So I won't demonstrate the song. But we can, you know, you see athletes do that, don't shake off. I thought they was just like, you know, getting the muscles all relaxed. But no, they're de-stressing. They're getting rid of all that tension, all that pent-up tension. So when, you know, when you're stressed, besides standing tall and smiling, you've got to shake it off. Maybe don't do it in the supermarket, but you know, it, it's good advice. It really, you know, I've tried it all week. I've been trying these things. It works. It works. Start, you know, I, Wayne's given me a few odd looks. You know. <laughs> you know. Well, no, you're right. No change there. He said, and that's true. <laughs> there is no change there. I can be a bit odd at times. Well, we all can, can't we? Um, so yeah. So don't try it in the supermarket, but please do try it. But what I thought we'd better do, since I'm doing a message, maybe I should look at the Bible and see what this has got to say about stress. Now, there's loads of stories in the Bible about various people and our peoples, nations that are in st stressful situations. And um, so I, that was a, a massive choice. But the story I chose was the story of Hannah. Hannah so desperately wanted a baby, and it wasn't happening wasn't happening and you know we're going to I'm going to read it it's in first Samuel chapter 1 starting to read at verse 1 
I've got my very own Bible. It says NLT version, but you'll find that mine, it kind of comes out as a Wigan version. (laughs) But we'll go with it anyway. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah, in the region of Zuf, in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Anna and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Anna did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Evan's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were his two sons, the two sons of Eli, Ophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to Peninnah and to each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah and as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Anna would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Anna? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted? Just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Newsflash, Elkanah. No. (laughs) Think that's the short version of that? Oh, you're not men. I know it's Father's Day, but come on. Come on. Let, let's, let's, let's get this into some perspective now, this verse here, okay? First of all, we're talking about who Elkanah is, um, and that he's got two wives. Um, not a good idea. Anybody thinking about it? It never, ever works. And it's not scriptural anyway. So, one wife's enough to remember that and learn a little bit of his mistakes. But he had two wives, Penina and Anna. Penina had children, Anna did not. Penina would went further, she started taunting and making Anna even more miserable. You know, you're miserable enough, aren't you? You can't have children. There's this other woman, <laughs> and she's got loads of kids. That enough, yeah. visually must have been really stressful and heartbreaking for Hannah. But that wasn't enough for Peninnah. She carried on, didn't she? You've not got any children, and I have. Call yourself a wife. You're not a good wife, are you? And you can just imagine what's going on. And how Hannah must have been feeling so downhearted. In verse 5, we read, And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. Now, I know your Bibles might say a double portion or um, a special portion. Anna got the choice cut because Elkanah did love Anna. He loved her more than he did Peninnah. And he gave her the best, the best bit. She didn't get braising steak, she got fillet steak. That's what she got, fillet steak, the best. Penina didn't. She got the brazen steak. And her kids all got the same. And so, you know, that must have been quite an example, quite a display of his love, really. Anna didn't pick up on that because she was still so downhearted. 
She was still broken-hearted. She was desperately trying for a baby. I don't know if anybody has ever been in this situation. I know I haven't, but I do have a friend who was going through this, and she desperately wanted a baby. And um, she was about 30 when they got married, so straight away they wanted to start a family, and it just wasn't happening. They went to the doctors. The doctor, guess what the doctor said? Relax. You know, everything's fine, there's nothing wrong, relax, and it will happen naturally. So they went away, feeling at least, knowing that, well, there wasn't anything seriously wrong with them, it, it will happen. Of course it didn't. And so then they started on the IVF treatment. Now, I don't know if it's still the same, but you used to be allowed three goes, three turns of the IVF, three, three, three lots of the IVF sessions, treatments. And... Um, so my friend went through all three, still no baby, still no pregnancy. And I remember just at the, the third, well, I actually watched her beat get more down and down. This weight got heavier and heavier. She started to stand more, you know, like rounded shoulders. I watched her heart break in pieces. And just as this third... IVF treatment had failed. She'd just got news that it all failed, and she was distraught. She's beside herself. I discover I'm pregnant with my second child. Telling my friend that I was pregnant was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And you know, actually, at the same time, I have another friend who was going through this very similar treatment, for the same reason, at the same time. And everything had gone wrong for her as well. So I had to tell them both that I was pregnant. One of them, the other friend, she just cried. She just completely, floods of tears everywhere. I didn't know what to do. My, 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 the first friend, the one I told you about, um, she managed to congratulate me. And you could tell with her voice that it wasn't really what she wanted to do, but she knew it was the right thing to do. It wasn't my fault that she, was, she couldn't have children, and she knew I wanted children too. Um, so she managed to congratulate me. But both these ladies refused to see me again until I had the baby. They wouldn't speak to me on the phone. They wouldn't have coffee with me. Because each time they saw me, it reminded them of what they couldn't do, what they, what they wanted so desperately and for some reason wasn't able to do. The second friend, she already had one child. Um, her child was born on the same day as... Um, as April, my eldest, that's how we met. And um, so she was the one who burst out crying. And her husband said to her, shall we call him Elkanai, part two? He said, why are you crying? You've already got one child. You don't need any more, really. And you've got me. We've got a good life. There's no need for crying, is there? <laughs> slap him, slap him. You know, <laughs> mosquito, that's it. I know he meant well. Yeah. I think Elkanah meant well when he was saying what he was saying. Yeah, but it's not the way to mend a broken heart. Yeah. We have to be careful sometimes about what words we, we were saying. I know he meant well. And, and my friend's husband, he, he did. He was trying to, you know, look on the bright side. Yeah. That's another song, isn't it? No, I won't sing. Um, <laughs> but that's what he was trying to say. And it just, just 
doesn't in that moment it just doesn't work does it you know maybe later on you can see you know if especially if things turn out all right I must say it didn't work out for either of them my first friend she ended up adopting a son that took a few a few goes actually right at the last hurdle that would fall through it really went through the ringer with it really did I've never known any she walked and she did it with dignity really you know when you think about the heartache she did it with dignity but I don't think it's something that she's ever going to get over, even now. You know, and she's so much older, her adopted son's grown up and, and got children of his own. But, um, no, it's just, it's just never the same, is it? Um, but anyway, let's continue, because, as we say, this is where she's up to. She's, she's not eating. She's probably not sleeping. Um, can I just say about Penina though, you know, I do feel sorry for her really, because she was his second wife, and the Bible said, didn't it, that, um, at, what does it say, you have me, isn't that better than having ten sons? If she'd have had ten sons, that would have taken up an awful lot of time. So if he's comparing himself to ten sons, he must be spending a lot of time with Anna. So, what's Penina doing in the meantime? Yes, she's got her own children that she's looking after, but how must she have been feeling? <coughs> really shoved out, unimportant, no, doesn't love me as much as he loves her, even though she can't give him children and I can. That's not, it's just, whatever I do is just not good enough. She feels bad. She's hurting. She's actually hurting and stressed out herself. She made a bad choice. We do that sometimes in time of stress, don't we? We react badly. She made a bad choice. The choice she made was to taunt Anna. You know, we do that, don't we? You know, when, you, when you're feeling really bad about something, or you've got a lot, you know, you're failing at something, you point out somebody else's failings in order to mask your own. And that's what Penina was doing, really. So, we, you know, we, it was mean what she was doing. It was downright nasty what she was saying and what she was doing. But it was coming from a broken heart. She was surviving the only way she knew. She was trying to make herself feel better. You know, she was his second wife. She must have been thinking, am I, is that all I am? Just the second wife, just here to produce children. Like I say, two wives, it never works. Never work. You can't make two, I don't care how good you are, guys, you cannot make two women happy. <laughs> Not at the same time, anyway. <laughs> um, so, let's read on. Verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting in his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Anna was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire life. As a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. 
but I am very discouraged and I am pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of the, a great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. Mm. So, quite a lot in that, really, if you think about it. Um, you know, as I said earlier, she couldn't eat, she couldn't sleep, she was in tears. But this particular year, she did something different. Yes. Yeah. She asked God. Yeah. You know, we heard it this morning, didn't we? Sometimes we don't ask, and that's why we've not got an answer. This year, she did something different. She asked God. She asked for her heart's desire, for a child, for a son, and she promised she would give him back to God. And we know, we know the story, don't we? This is Samuel, <laughs> the greatest prophet. So she, did, she held up her bargain too. Um, but she, yes, she asked. It's funny what we'll do sometimes in depression, you know, we, 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 we might ask, we, we, but we ask the wrong people, or we go to the wrong places. Can I just tell you, I know it might seem like God's so far away when you're, that, when you're so stressed or depressed, but he's not, he's right there. Yeah. Anna spoke, and there was no sound. Eli not like our Eli. Our Eli would never have said, are you drunk? <laughs> he would never have said, put away your wine. <laughs> but he did the right thing once she, when she explained to him what she was doing, that she was pouring out her heart. He said, oh. He kind of realised then, didn't he? Like, oh, I'm sorry. Go in peace. Oh, and I, I, may the God bless you and grant you your request. We don't know whether she actually told him what the request was, but I believe that that was God speaking through Eli to her because she went away. She was no longer sad. She started eating. It was a done deal for her, you see. The penny dropped. The penny dropped. She had a light bulb moment. I've asked God. He loves me. He's all powerful. He can do this. He can change anything. Nothing is impossible with God. And she, that penny dropped, she knew that. She knew in her heart that it's with God now. Whatever happens, it's with God. Yeah. It's his decision, and I'm okay. Yeah. And when you get to that place, that's when we get peace. That's when we go from stress to rest. Yeah. That's when we go from stress to freedom. Yeah. She was free. She wasn't carrying that burden any longer. Yeah. And of course, you know what happens. She does get pregnant, and Samuel... Uh, is the result. But what I, one point that I do want to bring out is when we're going through something like this and we pray to God and you, God, please take this away. Take it from me. I've prayed that many times. And, you know, he doesn't always do it there and then, does he? You know, some people, you know, they, you know straight away, miracle, there you go. Yeah. Got it. And they're praying, nothing. And I'm saying, why, God, why? And then I, I start asking questions like, I start telling myself, well, why would he? Why would he answer my prayers when all I can do is let him down? Yeah. You know, you can trust me, Lord, to let you down. Yeah. So why would he help? 
But you know, can I tell you that? That's not from God. God's not saying that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's fear and stress what's speaking. It's not God. He would never do that. And he might walk through the fire with you, as he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You know, he, he could have said, no, I'll put that fire out. They're not going in. He could have somehow had the rules changed so they didn't have to go in. But he didn't. They had to go in the fire. But he walked in with them. The Bible tells us there was four people that he walked through that fire every step of the way. They had to go through it. They had to face it. But God walked through it every single step of the way. And you know, when they came out, they didn't even smell a smoke. When you come out of your misery, your illness, whatever it is, you will not even smell of smoke. You will walk out, you will walk through that fire with triumph. But know that while you're in there, God is with you. God is with you. Even though you might not see him, there's too, much, too many flames, too much smoke, you can't see him. But just feel for him. Just, just have that breath and feel him. He's there. He's there, and I can testify to that. I really can. Got me through some really tough times. Um, and we've all walked through fire. Yeah. All of us. Our fires look different to each other's, but we've all got fire that we've had to walk through. Yeah. But please remember that God's with you. Yeah. When Anna was praying, she was praying out all her anger, all her anguish. Yeah. That's the right thing to do. Yes. She was being honest with God. We don't have to see it like a flowery prayer. We don't have to see, you know, have, there's no right words. It's whatever you're feeling in your heart. Get it all out. It doesn't matter, what's and all, get it all out. Give it to God. He says to you, doesn't he, come to me, all those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, bring me your burdens. Give them to me. Let me carry them. We, we don't do that, do we? we? We say we do. You know, and sometimes we kind of like, give him it and then we, we take it back yeah. I'll just keep hold of it a bit longer David found that out in um, King David he wrote um, well he wrote a lot of Psalms but Psalm 69 was the one I was thinking about yeah, he, he, I don't know how many he wrote but he wrote a lot of them um, Psalm 69 it starts off I'm going to just read it to you if I can find it it says starts this way save me O God from the flood waters for the flood waters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help. That's three verses. 29 verses carry on in this same way. Yeah. 29, he's pouring out his heart, he's telling him what's wrong. And the 29th verse says, I am suffering and in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. 29 verses, he's doing that. But verse 30, it changes. Everything changes. Because in verse 30, he says, Then I will praise God's name with singing, I will honor him with thanksgiving. (laughs) Do you know when we praise and when we worship, it's power. Right. 
there's power in praise. So I want to add to that first list of smiling and standing. Let's stand and sing. One of the songs says that, doesn't it? I can stand and sing. I am a child of God. That's what we need to do. Stand up and sing. And when you do it, do it with a smile on your face. Because we win. Whatever you're going through, nothing's impossible with God to sort out. You just need to let it go. And that's the hardest part. But that's what we need to do. As he said, give it to me. Give me your burden. You know, when we do sing, you know, it's just come to mind now as I'm looking through this, um, singing. That's what, you know, make a joyful noise, it says, for those of us who can't sing. <laughs> I make a joyful noise. And when we do that, isn't that what brought the walls of Jericho down? Enough said. Sing. Make a joyful noise. You know, my joyful noise might not be that joyful to you, but let me tell you, God still likes it. And he likes your noise as well. And I know for some of you on the front row here, we all like your joyful noise as well. So you then bless us too. Uh, I would give you an example of my joyful noise, but you will go home and I won't get a chance to finish what I'm saying. So we won't go there. Um... But yeah, as I was saying about Anna, she, she was honest. She gave all her thoughts, all her anguish over to God. And she had that peace. It tells us, doesn't it, that peace that passes all understanding. I remember being like that um, many times, but the one that really... So I know one or two of you know the story of when April was a baby. She was only 18 months old and... Um, she, I remember it was bedtime and I was giving her a milk, you know, to just before I put her down. And within five minutes of her finishing the milk, it all came back in one solid lump. It wasn't watery, it, wasn't, it was a lump, one solid lump. And panic set in. She went white, completely white. I rang the doctor. Um, I, never, I didn't think of doing anything else. I just rang my GP. But he came on a home visit. He said, I'll come and see you. And he came and he said, you need to get her to the hospital right now. Get in the car. I'll ring her head. And we got in and, um, you know, uh, she, she was white. By this time, her lips had turned blue. She was like a rag doll. They took her and they, they were putting needle, needles, pins, needles and pins. They were putting her in her. And she didn't flinch. She didn't move. You know, they were saying to me, we'll take her because when she cries, it, you know, it, it, mums get all worried. She never cried. She didn't flinch. She never moved. She was just a rag doll. It was like she wasn't there. You can imagine, as parents, yeah. uh, what we were feeling. We thought we were going to lose her. And um, they, they got an IV in and they was giving her fluids. She wasn't improving. And they kept coming and they're shaking their heads. They don't know why she's improving. She was just, you know, there seemed to be machines on everything while they was checking everything. And then her arm just ballooned up. And her vein had collapsed. And the fluid was just going in her arm. It wasn't doing anything. And that's why she wasn't improving. So then, they, you know, they ended up with, the, they got IVs in both arms, both legs. Uh, because they said, it'll probably happen again. We'll have to just keep moving it around. And we didn't think anything. 
we, we thought we thought the nurses wasn't doing enough because that's what you do as a parent, isn't it? Why is my child not getting better? Why are you not doing everything that you can? Of course they are, they was. But that's not how at the time how we felt and how we saw it. And we're saying, you're just letting this child die. That's how we felt, that was honest. It was honest how we felt, it wasn't true. That's, that's two different things. We can be honest, but not necessarily truthful. She, as I say, we we cried and we prayed out to God and we we was honest, like Anna. We said all these things to God. We were asking God, why was he allowing it to happen? And we just suddenly felt better. Like Anna, as soon as we said it all, we got it all out, we felt better. I was staying in the hospital, um, because only one parent was allowed to stay. Wayne went home. I stayed, got in, in my little bed. I slept. I hadn't done the previous night, previous couple of nights, because it took, it took three days before this, day, we, this prayer. But I slept this night. And then I was woke up early hours in the morning with this strange noise. It was April, jumping up and down on the bed asking for a drink (laughs) you have never seen anyone run through an hospital to go and get a child a drink as fast in your life i'm telling you and it was like she'd never been ill perfect but you know we felt that peace the night before there was no change no change the nurses and the doctors was still shrugging the shoulders and shaking the head but we just felt that peace we knew everything was going to be okay and sure enough that followed through, as it did with Anna. She felt okay, she went, she ate, she wasn't sad any longer. You know, and if we was to read on, we would see that in time, she gave birth, she had this baby boy, and she did what she promised. She gave him back to the Lord. So, you know, please don't ever feel that I've prayed, I've done all that, I've done what you've said, but still nothing. It's happened, but sometimes it just there's a delay sometimes in seeing it in the physical. So don't be downhearted. Just thank God and stand and worship and don't let that fear. It says, doesn't it, that God didn't give us, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know what that tells us is that fear isn't. It's not from God, but it's a very real thing. And it comes to steal and rob. But you know what else that verse tells us? That verse tells us we have three weapons against it. We have love. Well, first one, it says power, isn't it? Power, that we get that from the Holy Spirit. Then we have love. God is love. And he is more powerful than any weapon that is formed against us. Love breaks down barriers. It builds people up. And three, the third weapon is a sound mind. Or some Bible says self-discipline. It's our minds, our thoughts. That's where all the battles go on, you know. That's why we're given an helmet of salvation. It's to protect our mind, to protect our thoughts. Because that's the only place the enemy can attack. 
So protect ourselves. We're the helmet. It tells us in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which will be good and pleasing and perfect. In Philippians 4, 8, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Every time fear comes in, that's the enemy trying to terrify us. He's trying to shut us down. He doesn't want us standing tall. He doesn't want us singing. Because that's where the power is, like I've already said. He wants to keep us weak and miserable. If we're miserable, he's happy. Let's not not let him have one more happy moment ever again. Let us be happy and walk through whatever fire you are facing. Walk through it standing tall because God is by your side. Whatever you're facing, it can't win. It cannot win. Let's, let, let, but the band's getting ready to sing, so let's just let's rise up and let's sing. And let's bring this power down. Let's bring it down because whatever's going in your life, do you know, I just need to say this now because just as I'm speaking, God's showing me a picture. And you know the big cruise ships, they have big massive chains that hold them. And that, that's what I'm seeing, this chain. And it's, it's not just breaking in two, it's crumbling. Amen. It can't be repaired. It's crumbling. This is happening right now over all your lives. I don't know what's going on in anybody's lives, but that chain is crumbled. It's not just broke, it's crumbled. Let's praise God. Let's just sing. Let's raise the roof as we sing because God is good. Let's stand and sing for I am a child of God.